Welcome to the Women in Work podcast. My name is Courtney Powell, and I serve as the Director of Ministry Content for Women in Work and oversee all of our ministry initiatives. One of our initiatives is the Women in Work Book Club, where we choose a book to read together as a community, and at the close of our reading, we interview the author of the book we read. For this summer season, we highlighted some of our previous book club conversations for you to enjoy, and this is our final episode for the summer. I cannot believe that. In this episode, we interviewed lawyer and author Justin Early for his book, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. This was an absolutely fascinating conversation. So the reason the habits are common is not only because they're ordinary, which they are, but also because they can be practiced in community. They've been lived out by people across all walks of life. And all of these different types of people, whether they're business professionals, whether they're parents, students, or even retired, they've discovered new hope and purpose in implementing some of these very basic but very important practices. In this conversation, we talked to Justin about all kinds of things like his transition from a missionary to a lawyer, a theology of work, the importance of rest. We wanted to close out our season with this conversation as the summer ends and we enter into a new season and begin thinking about new rhythms and new ways that we can set up healthy and appropriate practices to help us to find rest in who God is and how he made us. We hope you enjoy this conversation and any resources mentioned in this episode will be linked in our show notes. All right, we are live, everyone. Welcome to Women in Work's sixth live author Q&A, which is all part of the Women in Work Book Club. I'm Courtney Moore. I'm the founder and president of Women in Work, and I am joined tonight by some great people. First, we have my uh, comrade in all things Women in Work, Courtney Powell. She's our director of ministry content and oversees our book club. And we are just thrilled to welcome tonight Justin Early, who is the author of our current read, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose in an Age of Distraction. So welcome, you guys. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Hey, Courtney and Courtney. I know we, we always get jokes with the Courtney, the last book club we did, Justin, we actually interviewed a girl named Courtney. So there were three Courtney's on. So <laughs> that's a bit of a mind bender, but I like this. It makes it easy. <laughs> uh, we're just so glad you're here. And um, before we jump into the content, can you just give us a brief, uh, tell us just real briefly how you went from being a missionary to a lawyer and then an author? I know that's a big question, but just give us a yeah, little tidbit yeah. of how that happened. It's a really important question, and it's fun to be talking to an organization that is focused on work and vocation because my shift from missionary to lawyer and then my shift from lawyer who also writes book is actually like a lot about my story with work. So Mm -hmm. I'll answer the first question somewhat briefly, and then we can go in. So I was a missionary in China for almost five years until I actually felt the Lord calling me to move from being a missionary in China to working missionally within the vocation of law and business. And I usually gloss over that part, but I figure for, you know, an organization that's specific to work, that was an important moment in my life because it was the moment where I realized that the Lord's work does not stop at the realm of, you know, missions and ministry as we tend to use those terms, but that, that the Lord actually has, all of this creation that he sees as his mission field and that we ought to reflect that. And I could do like a whole talk and Q and a on that realization and why it led me to law and business, but it really was a calling sense that I felt like, Oh, 
I can serve the Lord here. This is actually how I feel built to serve him. This is how I feel made to serve him. And I realized that there's redemptive work to be done here in law and business. So that led me back to the States to do law school and start a career in, in business law. And I've been doing that uh, for the losing count now, seven, eight years since, since law school here in Richmond, Virginia. And um, with my four boys and my wife, who you may hear because they're still working on bedtime over there out that door. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> That's really great. And obviously that's so much of what we're about is just people utilizing their vocation to honor God. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what work is for. And I love that you actually talk, you talk about that briefly in the book too, which we really appreciated that we're going to get to that chapter, but kind of before we get into the content, I think it's important that, can you tell us a couple things? Um, you, you talk about this in the intro, but what inspired you to write the book or really even just develop these habits? And then can you explain what a common rule is? Cause I think yeah. even the terminology, you know, is not super familiar to people. So we would love for you to kind of tell us what a common rule is and then what prompted you to start implementing these things in your life. Yeah. So inspire would be a generous way of putting it because I sort of came to this book and this idea through a crisis that kind of began again in a crisis of work. So if you've read the book, you know, this story, I go to book clubs. I love book clubs and have it where I haven't read the book. I do it all the time. So for those of you out there who listen that haven't read, don't feel bad. I'm just going to retell it real quick. As I shifted from being a missionary to being a lawyer, I really mm-hmm. ran at law school with all the fervor of a man on a call. Cause I really did feel called to this new vocation. Um, mm-hmm. That meant, I think that I went, you know, 101 miles per hour at it because I did think, and I still believe that Christians should work excellently in their vocation. And Mm. part of that was really good. You know, I was like graduating at the top of my class. I was getting my dream job and mergers and acquisitions at an international law firm down here in Richmond. I did really well. I worked really hard. Um, And I I, I still affirm that part of my life. What I did not think about then was how that running at law, like it's a calling, meant that I also assimilated to all the habits and practices that were typical of law school mm. students, still are typical of law school students, and are typical of young aspiring lawyers. And those were, you know, they're not really surprising things, but they were things like being on my phone all the time, constantly mm. saying yes to more engagements, constantly saying yes to the next thing that would add to my resume, never saying no, because, you know, being busy meant being important. Um, always, you know, first thing in the morning, last thing of the night, anytime, even when I started to have kids, because I had my first two sons in law school, um, Mm. sort of being tethered to my phone and the working calendar. These were all Mm. the habits that I did not realize were not neutral. Mm. And so it wasn't until I had a major, major anxiety meltdown my first year of lawyering. I didn't even know that's what it was at first. You know, when this like struck me in the middle of what I thought was a happy-go-lucky, spontaneous father of two boys, happy marriage, everything. And I just started experiencing tremendous anxiety out of the blue, insomnia, uh, so bad that I was either taking pills or having a couple of drinks just to fall asleep in the evening. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, my, as this unfolded, I started to have to deal with the question, like, how did the missionary get converted to the nervous medicating lawyer in such a mm-hmm. short amount of time? Like I came to change the vocation, the vocation changed me. Mm-hmm. And I realized that in re- this took a long time to figure out, but th- just to put a point on the story, because I don't want to insinuate that this is up as easy. It took me years, right? But in retrospect, as I look at my story and I look at how I got better, 
I realized that I had been converted by my anxious and busy routines, i.e. my habits had converted me. My head always believed the same thing, or so I thought. But my, when your head goes this way and your habits go that way, your heart starts to follow the habits. And I think that's why a lot of us actually can preach a gospel of peace while dealing with ourselves as a nervous, anxious wreck, because our, our habits and our hearts are going this direction of anxiety. So that was the tip off for me where I started to really take the spiritual life of habit seriously. And Justin, I feel like when I, you know, you kind of kick off the book with that story. And I think for the reader, when they, like, when I read that it, again, it just drew me into the book because you, you, again, you pick up a book and you think this person is the expert on this topic, right? You just assume expert. (laughs) Right. And so it was so refreshing because, you know, we all know our own faults. We all know the the bad habits we're in and what where we need to climb out of. But so I just think even the way you open the book with just that humility of like, listen, I'm at this because I really needed it. Um, mm. was just it's so it just helped me um even just receive the message of the book. So I re- really appreciate it. Really all throughout the book, you share quite a bit of just well, thank you. Uh the the you know the struggles you overcame. So it was really good. And by the way, I still need it. As we we'll, as we keep talking about, you realize. I talk about this stuff, not because I'm so good at it or that I'm an expert in it, but rather because it is now the way that I have learned to love Jesus and work really well at the same time. And that might be in parenting, that might be in lawyering, that might be in anything. But to me now, this is the thing that I need to live healthily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the thing that really struck me when I was reading, and you just touched on it just then too, is that habits are not neutral, yeah. that habits are forming us. Mm -hmm. And so much of our, you know, Christian discipleship is formation and our habits are part of that. And I really had never connected the two until you said that. So it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I I think it's really, if you, I don't know the spiritual waters that I grew up in, thankfully emphasized a lot of education but I've realized that I didn't really understand and I wish they'd emphasized more formation because like I said, with the head and the heart, filling your head with knowledge is amazing. It's just not the full picture of the Christian life. And what I say a lot now is that you, you can't think yourself out of a problem. You didn't think yourself into, you, you need to practice yourself out of it. And a lot of our anxiousness, a lot of our depression, um, a lot of our stress at work, is not because we're sitting there at our desk thinking my worth in the world depends on this project. Like we, if we said that, we'd be like, that's probably not true. Right. But we act like it. We practice mm-hmm. our way into that feeling and we need to practice our way out through the, the ways we look at our phone, the ways we set up our schedules, the ways that we incorporate scripture and prayer into our days. So, and that's all, that's all formation. That's just the idea that the things we do in the world, the things we do at work, do things back to us and we need to be attentive to how those things are shaping us because work works back on you. You, you don't just work on it. It works back on you. Sure yeah, does. that is, that is really, and that's really, really helpful. Cause I think a lot of us, myself included, walk around thinking that that's not the case, that I don't mm-hmm. see my work in that way, even in my mothering and my working outside of the home, all of those things, I don't see it that way. So that's, yeah. that's really, really helpful. I felt like that was a really profound part of the book for me. Um, before we kind of jump into specific content, I did, in case there are people who have not read it, um, I wanted to, to talk about the map of the book. So um, you have daily habits that you recommend and then weekly habits. Yeah. And so just 
real quick. The daily habits are kneeling in prayer, um, one meal with others, one hour with your phone off and scripture before phone, which those are, those are very convicting. Very good. And then the weekly habits are one hour of conversation with a friend, curate media to four hours, fast from something for 24 hours and Sabbath. And so we're going to tell, we're not, we don't have time to touch on all those, but we've picked a couple that we're going to try to, to just touch on together. Yeah. You know what, Courtney, as you went over those, I realized I didn't answer the part of your question about why it's called the common rule, which oh, may, yeah, be, yeah. may be helpful for people to understand why these nested four daily habits and four weekly habits are happening. The short version is, as I started to work on my habits to try to become a more healthy person um, and a more healthy disciple of Jesus, there was a point where I actually showed the, all the things that I was doing on a daily and weekly basis to my pastor. Cause he was interested. I was talking to him about my struggle with anxiety and panic. And he was like, Oh, you, I see that you created a rule of life for yourself. And I was like, as many of people on this uh, live feed might be like, well, what, what did he just say? What's a rule of life? And so I went, you know, looked it up and looked into it. And the idea that we would set up communal habits to govern small and big things in our days and weeks and months and years, is not new at all. So monasteries and other spiritual communities, even you read this in the story of Daniel in the Old Testament, Christians throughout you know, biblical history have been attentive to the small practices in their life. And they've called it a rule of life. And the, the thing that I would emphasize there is just that the idea of a rule and a rule of life is not the idea that you must obey all these little habits. It's the, it was actually the Latin root for a word that connoted a bar or a trellis. And mm-hmm. the idea was that our days and our weeks grow on something like a schedule. Mm. Our spiritual formation grows on habits. And just like you would build a trellis for a vine or a plant that you want to grow up and flourish and become something beautiful. We as disciples of Jesus need to think about what are the trellis of habits that our loves and affections grow mm. on. And, yeah. and that's, that's why you get the cover of the book of this like calendar as the trellis mm-hmm. for a plant. Cause the idea is what kinds of habits would help us flourish as lovers of God and lovers of neighbor. And that's where I came up with, okay, well, here are four habits for the common person, not necessarily the ministry, because mm-hmm. pastors have a different sort of life. Like they should probably be taking a silent prayer retreat every month. My mm-hmm. job doesn't ask me to do that or command that I do that, but I need to figure mm-hmm. out the habits and the rhythms for my place mm-hmm. in the world. And so that's why it's called the common rule. It's a rule of life mm-hmm. for common people like you and me. Yeah. That's well, really helpful. So, yeah, it's so good. And when we, uh, when Courtney and I got the book, we before we even began reading, we just were like looking at the table of contents. We we're like, oh my goodness, this is gonna, this is gonna crush us. But how bad <laughs> we need it so bad. <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> it's really good. And, and the other thing is just how theological it is. It's just so rich. And I mean, again, I don't know if I already said this, but your writing is just so beautiful. So it just draws you in with all these beautiful, rich theological themes. But okay, so on to the next question, Justin. Um, So of course, at Women in Work, we love talking about and helping inspire women to really imagine ways that they can reflect God through their work. Really, we want them to image God Mm. through what they do and really steward the gifts that he has put within them, really leverage Mm. all they have, all their potential um, Mm. for his glory. And so Mm -hmm. um, the first daily habit that you discuss in the book we talked about is kneeling prayer. Um, And even in the workplace, and I have to tell you that first habit 
I cannot tell it is, there is barely a day that I do the kneeling prayer where I am not in tears. I don't know if it's just something just getting on the floor, the, it's just so humbling and you just are reminded, wow, oh my, I need you today. Mm -hmm. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So that is, I love that habit. Um, Okay. But you really talk in there about, you kind of give us, like you've already discussed a little bit about your theology of work. And so this is kind of a big question, but how would you define work? What is work and why does our work matter to God? You kind of hit on this a minute ago, but. um, Yeah. I mean, this one's a big one to me because as you noted um, earlier, I, I, I write, I like writing. And so I've always come at the world through words and if you think about, if I, when I think about the things that I do as a lawyer or a speaker, a writer, um, even as a missionary, they were often using words to shape realities in the world. Mm-hmm. And this is not totally unique to lawyers. I think you all, everybody does this in a certain way in meetings and writings and emails. Mm-hmm. Um, words shape the world. So I was so encouraged one day, this was years ago in my spirituality, to have the epiphany that that's how the world came into being. God literally speaks the world into being. He shapes the world through his words. And I I started to realize like, oh my gosh, that's no wonder I feel like I do in in work and in relationships, Mm -hmm. that words matter when they're said to me, things change. When I say them, things change. Not always in the Mm -hmm. ways you expect and not always in the ways you like, but words matter. And um, when I was thinking about why it was so true that kneeling prayers placed at small times throughout the day affected my life so much. I started to realize that it was the same reason I love work and the same reason I love Genesis. And that is that speaking words matter. And like Mm -hmm. you just said, Courtney, you're kind of surprised that these small moments of prayer matter as much as they do. Yeah, I I was too. I'm not anymore because now I feel like I've just finally come to believe what the Bible tells us. And that is that prayer really matters. Like it actually changes you speaking these words into the world and listening for the words of God back and speaking the words that he gave you to speak, you know, like Mm -hmm. instead of waking up in the morning and speaking the words that are in my head of like, Oh, there's so much to do today. I'm already, I woke up on time and I'm already late somehow in my head, (laughs) instead of repeating those narratives to myself, or if you have kids, that you know you, you hear your kid crying like oh the morning frustration but rather beginning the day um as i just can't help now by habit i just drop the one knee and speak some of the words that he gave me in the scriptures like thank you for this day your your mercies are new this morning or mm-hmm. lord send me out into this day as you sent your son into the world but just things that echo the truths of the bible and I do, you know do this at midday i do this in the evening these are the ways that they start to frame your day differently. Mm-hmm. And just f- finishing this thought on the idea that habits aren't neutral. You know, everyone has habits. Mm-hmm. And right now you're framing your day in something. It might be these yeah. anxious, anxious groans of morning and midday stress and evening exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Or more likely it's the smartphone and how you use it in the morning, how you're distracted by it midday, how you can't get off in the evening. Th- these mm-hmm. things frame our day. And so a lot yeah. of what we're thinking about in this rule of life stuff is just thinking, what are wiser, what are wiser sort of gospel habits that we could insert in those points that would frame our day and towards the love mm-hmm. of God and neighbor instead of towards the anxiety, self-loathing and nervousness that we do deal with all day? 
Excellent. Yes, that's so good. And so are there ways that you would say that some of these habits, and I mean, I'm just thinking of the kneeling prayer, but you can answer this however you're thinking. Are there, are there some ways these daily habits can actually help redeem our, our work, redeem, just reorient oh, yeah. our mind? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. I love that because um, I speak at law firms and lawyer events frequently now about these themes. And many people who ask me, you know, like, you know, this obviously isn't a Christian law firm, but some of the stuff that you talk about is, and I'm just like, stop there. I get it. Like this stuff matters for how you work. And I'm totally comfortable coming into your law firm and being like, Hey, do you want to be a full human being Mm -hmm. who is productive at work? Like, do you want to work with, with a soul involved in your work, the soul fully at work? There are certain things that you ought to be doing. Um, we are not machines. That's right. Like we, we know this, right? Cause we know God created us in the, his image, but I think anybody with some common sense at, at your offices and you can relate to, to them on this, they know that a human being, or at least feel in their soul that a human being should not be a machine, that we're yeah. not just meant to constantly churn. And all we need to do is sort of like plug in the wall to sleep. And we're, we're different. We're really different than that. We need relationship. We need presence with each other. We need food food as nourishment to our souls and nourishment to community as much as we need it for fuel. And all of the kinds of things that I try to poke at in the book, like consider scripture before phone, um, consider uh, an hour with your phone off, consider eating mm-hmm. communal meals, consider yeah. limiting your media intake. All of those things have made me such a better lawyer and worker, I think. And like, of course, more productive. That's obvious, but more than that is just, I may be more present, like just Mm. more present to the world through my work, which is of course what the whole purpose of work is. We're out there not to make a name for ourselves, but to love our neighbors through the service of our vocation. Um, That doesn't change just because we get paid for it. We're still out there to love neighbor and you got to be present for that. You have to be like your whole self needs to be there. And when we're constantly half there because of an email or half there because of a text alert or half there. Not only are you not the best worker you could be for your manager, your boss, or your bottom line, you're just not also not a full image of God bearer. And that's what you're called to be at your Mm -hmm. office. So I really see this stuff as helping us to work as full human beings. Um, No, that's really helpful. I think like, I never had thought about it like that, but how you're, you're not, you know, present, you're not fully present if you're just constantly distracted. Um, that's really helpful. It's really good. I feel like that in all the areas of my life, I feel that can get so overwhelming or can be so disjointed that I feel like I'm only halfway giving myself to all these things. When really, if I eliminated some of the noise, I just, I think I would be a lot more present. Well, and the other thing, Courtney, I mean, talking about imaging God, I mean, God is present. There, there is never a moment when we can go to the Lord and he is not with us and he's never distracted. Right. Um, and so I just think that being present, I mean, it's so hard though. I mean, it's such a hard thing to do because I mean, our phones are kind of killing us, um, in this way, but, um, I just, not only is it going to help our relationships flourish, um, but it's also going to help us just be more like the Lord, you know? Yeah, it's really true. And it's, it's hard when you feel like the work that you're doing is really good work. Like, Oh, I'm, doing ministry or, Oh, we're doing stuff for women and work or whatever. And so it's hard because they're good things, but 
you, you know, every, or, or, or this is a common phrase, but um, when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's when it's disordered. Yeah. Right. And so it's like when my work, even if what I'm actually doing is good, when it becomes an idol, it's no longer good. It's no longer sir, honoring the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, people talk about work life balance, which is fine. And I get what we're talking about, but I, I think a lot more about being fully present to work and fully present to life when you are at those things. And if anybody is a mother or a parent like me, you, you're, you're thinking about that too, right? You're thinking about how do I be present to being a parent? Yeah. How do I be present to work? And a lot of the things that divide us are around technology and, and busyness and where we start to become, we, we, we start to mix up and blur the lines and, and we start to lose our presence, which is to lose our calling in those things. And so a lot of the, a lot of the habits that I'm, think about are ones to, to put us in the center of the calling while we're there yeah, and then release us to the next calling while we're there. And that's just for the idea of really being present to where we are at the time. Gosh, that's yeah, that's exactly it. Well, okay. Kind of in that same vein, I want to talk about boundaries and limits because I think that a lot of the theme really even in your book um, is about setting up, obviously we're talking about habits, but some of those are literally you drawing boundaries around things for yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't remember if you use these terminology, if you use this exact terminology in the book, I was just going back through it, but I, I, the terminology I was thinking of is, is the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God, right? Where I, there are things. I took my God. systematic theology long ago as a missionary <laughs> in China. And I remember that one. You're onto something. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So obviously the communicable attributes of God that we should image and that we want to imitate is that God is loving, you know, God is holy. We're called to be holy like he is, but then there are incommunicable attributes, which are that God's omnipresent, that he's omniscient, that he's mm-hmm. omnipotent. And I think that a lot of what we are seeing, what I'm seeing, what Courtney's seeing, what we see even in our community is we are trying to be omniscient. Our phones make us mm-hmm. feel like we can mm-hmm. be omniscient. We're trying to be omnipresent. Our phone, I mean, a lot of, we're, we're really harping on phones, but I mean, honestly, like yeah, even yeah. just the things in our life, we, we kind of put ourselves in these positions where we are trying to be something that we were never intended to be. Um, and so I want to hear you talk more about health limits, you know, our own yeah. limitations as people and how our habits can help us acknowledge that we are not infinite right like we're finite beings we are not limitless like we have to have limits um so how can we set boundaries in ways that are healthy but also realistic you talk about this briefly in a chapter where there are times where you can't just turn it's not like every single day you can just turn your phone off you might have a deadline or you or whatever like you have to yes there are realities to our lives but how can we set up boundaries in ways that are appropriate that are healthy why do we need them why do we need to have limits on the things that we're doing you're so striking at the heart of the themes and the practical and this is where i like the, the key themes go with the important practicals so on the on the key theme you, you said it really well. I think the fundamental sin of Eden was trying to be God, like become God instead of mm-hmm. be like him, um, mm-hmm. imitate him in, in a way that is humble and created. I see that fundamental sin played out in our culture. And I don't mean the culture out there. I mean, like the one that seeps in here, like we do this, mm-hmm. we invent phones to help us do it. 
we try to stretch towards the limitlessness and we don't, we are really resistant to any limits because I think it strikes at the, the key American idol, which is freedom. Um, mm. And biblical freedom is great. Biblical freedom is the idea that you can do what you were created to do. Like it's for yeah. freedom that Christ sets you free. He set us free from the bondage of sin because we could not do what we were created to do. Glorify God. He set us free from that so we can actually live and walk in the spirit and glorify God. That's freedom, being able to do what you were created to do. What we think freedom is, is being able to do whatever we want to do at any given time. Mm-hmm. And if you have watched a toddler try to accomplish that, you realize they know how to work themselves up into their personal living hell at any moment by trying to do mm-hmm. everything they want to do. And then you watch, our, you watch ourselves try to do this. We, we want to yeah. eat what we want when we want it and be on our phone when we want, when we want it and sleep with mm-hmm. who we want when we want it. And, and we start, these are the personal hells we create for ourselves because we are resistant to the idea that God gave us loving limits. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a, a humbling, right? But it should be freeing at the same time, because it's also the idea that within those limitations, we experience the good life. Mm-hmm. And I think about um, my son's learning the piano right now. And I, I don't tell him this all the time because it's he's only nine, didn't quite get it. But he's got to learn those limits of the scales in order to be free to improvise one day. And you know, mm-hmm. if you play an instrument or a sport, what it means to be free at your, you know, in your vacation, vocation, actually, when you become really good at in marketing or really good at your accounting books or something, there's just a freedom you experience. Like I can work in this area. That's what I'm talking about in life. These limits set us free. That's the theme. It, it bleeds into the practicals. Like mm-hmm. when I think about turning my phone off for an hour each evening, which I did before we got on this call tonight, I was set free to be with my children in an important mm-hmm. way. Like, and you'll know this if you turn off your phone, which you actually can do. You have to hold the side buttons for a really, really long time. And then the phone will suddenly ask you, are you dying? Do you want to call? And like, are you crazy? Or do you actually want to turn me off? You turn it off. And you'll feel it immediately. You'll feel strange. First, Mm -hmm. scary, like unreachable. What if something happens? That's the way important things always feel at first. Like, whoa, this is a new experience. But you're actually, you're set free in an important way. Um, I don't do that on days or weeks where I have a super important deal closing at the law firm. I stay attentive to it. But the beauty of habit is that you, you fall back on the norms. Like I go through an intense deal cycle where we're working on selling a company. And yes, I remain available on my phone almost 24 seven for a couple of days or even weeks. And then I remember that's not the way I want to live. I had to do that well to do this project, mm. but that's not how life works. And that's what I missed in law school, right? Like in law school, you have to study really hard for a couple of weeks to get the A on the exam. You can't live like that forever. And I think that's the mistake that we live. You have a newborn, you got to stay up all night. Sometimes you stay up all night all the time. You're going to die right? Like it's just mm-hmm. not going to work. Right. Uh, so yeah. Like there's, you know, fasting works in this curating media works in this. Anybody who looks at the habits of the common rule, they'll, they'll realize that, you know, four of them are just about the idea of resisting things, resisting constant appetite, resisting constant work, resisting constant media. So as you, you asked the important question, Courtney, I could go on and on about the beauty of limitations, but mm-hmm. I'll just park it there. Li- limits, godly limits are beautiful, freeing things. And we need to learn how to incorporate they incorporate them into small daily practices. Mm, I love well, that. And Justin, I so appreciated when you talked about those feelings of anxiety, when you actually turn that phone off, 
I, I mean, it, yeah. honestly, when you just put that in print, it was like, oh my gosh, like I, it's not just me. You know, it, it was almost freeing just having a, another human admit, oh my goodness, I, I really connected to this thing in an yeah. unhealthy way. Yeah. But now when I turn my phone off, for that time, it is just like the best hour. It, it's so, I mean, yeah, so nice. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not be so connected. So we love that. Um, we want to talk about another aspect in the, another habit. Um, and so we're going to move on to the weekly habit of practicing the Sabbath. This was just probably one of my favorite chapters yeah. in the book. Um, you talk about how we tend to, you kind of even mentioned this a minute ago, how we view ourselves as really so important. Like our, our, they need us, you know, I can't put this down because I'm so significant and I'm finding mm-hmm. that I, I have to prove myself. Um, I really matter. And that's proven in how busy I am and through all of these things. And then one of the things you said in there, I thought this was just kind of genius. You, you mentioned the focus and the finish of our work and I, those two yeah. elements of work. I just love that. But that when we take a Sabbath, it kind of reminds us that, oh my goodness, the work is kind of, it's not finished, you know? Mm. And then you push us to Christ and how, you know, on the cross, it is finished. And mm-hmm. one of, I think the most beautiful um, sentences in your book, you said, it is finished is the lullaby of all things. Our restless hearts included. I mean, just that word lullaby, I'm ready to take a nap, right? I mean, yeah. it is finished yeah. is allows me to sleep. And so can you just talk about um, Sabbath and how it's okay that we don't finish because we have someone who finished for us? Yeah, yeah. The Sabbath has become, it was a hard earned discipline for me. Um, like all things in life, I've sort of been humbled into it, but it's a really precious rhythm now because and I, I'm getting this from other theologians. Like I didn't in, invent um, my thoughts on Sabbath, nor let's think about the habits in the common rule. This is one of the 10 commandments, right? This is not like a new habit that I'm bringing in. This is the right. idea of like, oh, for all of creation, God has suggested this as a weekly rhythm. Yeah. And, um, but coming to actually submit to that and honor that has been just an incredibly freeing time in my life um, because I, I think now I figured, I have figured out how to work out of the rest instead of just rest from the work. And if you've heard um, pastors such as Tim Keller talks, talk about this a lot, it's, it's this idea that I am not just collapsing on Sunday and being like, Oh, like I need rest. That's part of the truth. But really what Sabbath is doing is the first day of the week. And I do do my Sabbath mm-hmm. on Sunday. I don't think everybody has to, but I do mine on Sunday to sort of, to sort of say, I, I would need the love of God and the community of believers that's in my church service. That's also in my family dinner and spending time with my family. This idea that the work of the world is done. That's what I'm hearing on Sunday morning in some form or other. Jesus mm-hmm. on the cross said, it is finished. You are justified. You have nothing to prove. You have all my love now. And you come to the benediction and the commission part of the service, whether you're a high or low church, there's some part where your pastor is going to be like, now go out into the world and share it with people. That's then I go to work out of that day. Like Monday comes from the the gospel rest and the blessing of like, go now love the world. Mm-hmm. That's way di- like going to work on Monday morning in order to love your neighbor through your work is so different 
than working constantly around the clock to prove that you can finish it all. Mm. All the while, you know, while Christ is in the background saying it's finished, you know, it's finished. I have meaningful things for you to do, but you don't need to finish anything. You get to work with me. And as I want to do right now in my stage of parenting, I find metaphors for all this in kids everywhere, right? I, I don't ask my son, Asher, he's the one who's kind of handy with tools. I do not ask him to help me. Um, we screwed some screws into the cabinet this weekend. I do not ask him to help me because I think that he can finish that job. He cannot. I ask him to help me because I want to be with him. And I know that he loves working with me. Hmm. That's how we're called to work. We're not going to yeah. work to say we can complete this in the world. We're going to work because God is in our work. The love of neighbor is in our work. Let's go be with God and with neighbor there. And um, similarly, on the topic of children, we don't really know how to rest until we, we realize that there is a God who is bigger, who is stronger, who is more powerful than us, and that he is in charge of the world. He's controlling the world. That's how you can finally rest. And I think of like my little baby, you know, laying in my lap and sleeping. They, they were scared in the crib. They were alone. They had no idea what was happening in the world. You come and you pick them up and they feel in their bones. There's somebody who's bigger than me that loves me, that will hold me. Then you can like conk out. That's where you like conk out like a baby. Right. And I think of that as Sabbath. Now, if we don't know that God is ultimately the one who's shaping the world, we don't know how to rest. Mm. But when our soul finds rest in that, truth, we can actually really turn it off. And Sabbath, in light of all that, Sabbath is just the idea of practicing that theology every week. It's not more complicated than that. We could talk about the practicals all day, sure, and, and I'm fine if you want to, but it's just the idea of like practice that theological truth over and over and over. Because again, you did not necessarily think your way into your anxiety and your restlessness. You also mm. practiced your way into it. So you need to think and practice your way out. And Sabbath is the part where those two really merge. Yeah, that's so good, Justin. And so if there are, uh, you know, a woman or even men who are listening into this tonight and they're thinking, oh, this sounds so good. You know, all these habits that I need to be implementing, they might be overwhelmed and think, oh, I can't do it. So where would you say, as you think through um, the, the, what you've written and are practicing in your life, where do you think someone should start? Um, you know, how should they just begin? And then also we are really curious to know what habit has been the most um, influential in your life? Wh which one do you really get into? Okay. I know the answers to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> where to start? I would say start with two little things. That's one habit and one friend. Okay. And I put it like that because um, if you're crazy like me, you can try to do all these things at the same time. But I remember I was a man in crisis. So these were lifelines. I was willing to just radically reorient my life. Hopefully you're not w starting with one little habit and one friend is amazing because here's what happens. Let's take scripture before phone, which is one that I often hear from readers and other people that this is, this one really reshapes their day. Find a friend and say, I want to practice this one little scripture before phone habit with you for the month of January, let's say, which by the way, make habits, not re resolutions, but you, you'll change your life in 2022 by doing small incremental changes like scripture before phone or kneeling prayer or something like that. Big, big goals are, are just, they're different. You need habits to get there. All right. Diatribe over. So 
small habit and a friend and you need accountability for true mm-hmm. habit change. Um, yeah. I've never ever in my life changed alone, just period. Like every mm-hmm. time I change or create a good habit, it's because somebody else is either keeping me accountable or doing it with me. So mm-hmm. if you pick a small habit, like instead of saying, I want to be a person who reads scripture this year, say, I want to be a person who does scripture before phone one month with this friend. Here's what happens. You actually stick to it because you have a friend asking you. After a couple weeks, an amazing thing happens with small habits. They sink down and they become internalized. And mm-hmm. so you, you actually can now add all these other ones because you're not carrying the weight of that anymore. And so I, I, would, I would say scripture before phone is probably the one that I would say that has changed my life the most. The other one that's changed my life the most is the weekly habit of a weekly hour of conversation with friends. And that's for the reason I just mentioned that change happens in community. So I would commend those two and I would commend finding a friend and picking one habit to start. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, that's helpful. That is really helpful. And one of the things we haven't talked about it that much tonight, just because we've kind of focused more on individual habits and also kind of what will serve our vocational work. But I did love, I thought that the, a really beautiful part of the book was an emphasis on community, like the hour conversation with a friend, the meal with someone else, and just how important it is, especially coming out of COVID, how we have just all collectively learned together how important community is for one another. And I love habits that are formed around reminding ourselves that we need each other. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really beautiful. Well, Court, do we have time for any, did we have any questions? Um, Let's see. We did have a question come in. Someone said, I've read books from pastors on Sabbath that felt a little unrealistic. I love that you didn't quit your day job to write this book and that you don't encourage us to encourage us to do that either to flourish. So which habits are hardest for you to maintain alongside your good work? Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's good. That's a great question. Um, the habits that has been hardest for me to maintain recently is the habit of fasting. I go through good rhythms where I'm actually, you know, fasting from food a day a week, and then I get out of it and I'm not fasting from anything. And I miss that. Fasting is such a good way to remember who you are. And that is to, it doesn't have to be food. It could be social media. It could be wine. It could be sweets. You just, you take that thing that you love away. And you start to realize how much you yearn for it, which starts to point the finger that the problem's not out in the world, the problem's in your heart. Like you need, mm. you need this in order to cope and exist in the world. And I'm at my healthiest when I'm doing that, but I, um, it is hard. It's hard to do a good day of good work on an empty stomach. Um, especially hard if you're uh, a young mother fasting, probably not, not the right habit for that time. But I do, I find that one, um, I find that one challenging and yet it's something I always need to keep coming back to. Um, I think that's probably the one that's the most challenging for me at, at work. It's, it, it's hard sometimes to stop and pray, you know, or things like that, but I actually think those are much easier to learn. So I'd go with fasting as the hardest one. Mm. That's really helpful. Well, Hey, we're going to, we're, we're starting to wrap up, but I just wanted to say thank you again so much for just being with us and answering our questions. I attend a church here in Colorado and we are doing this discipleship program called the Institute and part of the curriculum. We talk a lot about formation and, and this book is actually one of the the five books that we read for oh, the curriculum. I'm very honored by that. That's 
Awesome. Yeah, that and so this worked out well for me. It was like killing two birds with one stone because I read it for this, and I'm reading <laughs> yeah. it for the institute. Um, but all the people, you know, even before we were reading this as women at work, all the people in my cohort have cohort have just really loved it because there is such a there's it's really practical, but it's really deep theologically too. Um, and so it's just a really helpful, it's a really helpful tool. One question that we end every, um, book club with, and that we wanted to ask you is what are some resources that you recommend? Like, what are some of your favorite, if you had to pick, like, this is my favorite book to read as a a disciple of Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. I want you to tell us that, but also I really want you to talk about your new book. We want you to tell us um, just a little bit more. You don't have to, you know, tell us the whole book. Give us a teaser though. I want to hear a teaser yeah. about why we should read that book. So start with a resource that you would recommend kind of like number one, what was your favorite book this year or just favorite book of all time. And then um, tell us about your new book. Yes. Um, on the subject of habit, the power of habit by uh, Charles Duhigg, which is a New York times bestselling book about a decade old right now is the go-to book that helped me understand he's not a a believer to my knowledge. It's just a really good book on the neurology, Mm -hmm. psychology, and sociology of habit. And it was reading him. I read other people like Jamie Smith and um, other people who apply this to spirituality, but that book changed my life. And if you're interested in this topic, I would go read that book. It's super fun to read too. It's Mm -hmm. really well-written. Another book that has just changed my life recently was called the domestic monastery and it combines mm-hmm. the idea of spiritual rhythms and paratings it was like a mind blowing book it's very small very short um and i say that partly as a segue because this this book just reoriented my idea of parenting and the the next book that just came out the uh, last month was all these same concepts but just applied to wait the household is this place of thick formation too and I, th- I think my big realization in working on the common rule and all the things that we t- talked about was that our habits form who I become. Like I'm becoming my habits, so I should pick them carefully. I suddenly, at some point in this journey, turned to my children and was like, wait, I'm becoming my habits. They're becoming me. My habits matter to our spiritual formation. I got to think about this. No, wait, I get to think about this in terms of the household. What would it mean to do some of these rhythms communally? What would it mean to think of ones that are just specific to my children? Um, mm-hmm. All in all, just it's this idea of reframing the household into not a place where you just have to get things done and grow your kids up to send them out to college, but rather this the, the household is this opportunity that you all get together to learn how to love. Mm. No place like the house yeah. teaches us what it means to live right next to centers that are rubbing up against you and you're impatient with them and they're frustrating and they're babies and they're annoying or they're spouses and they're making you mad. And you've got to figure out how to love them anyway. This mm-hmm. is the idea of the school of love. And um, so I, I think about that now. And that's what the next book is about is, is how do we think about habits that form us in the school of love in our household every day with our spouses and kids? <sighs> That's so beautiful. I'm adding, I'm adding it to the list. I'm adding it to the it was, list. It was, I, I, I got it here beside me. It was a fun one. It was a fun one to write. It's, oh, all, it's, just, it's all about practical times of the day, um, like waking, bedtime, mealtime, screen time, moments of discipline, conversation. It's just looking at ordinary moments and asking what sort of extraordinary things are happening spiritually in these ordinary moments and how could we think about the ways we do them every day better. Mm. 
That's so good. And again, the title is Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms. And this has just flown by. I mean, we could just talk about this for another hour. I don't know if other people would stick around, but (laughs) we really enjoyed it. Um, And so... We um, are just, again, we're grateful that you wrote this book, grateful uh, that you came on. And I know that our community will be really encouraged uh, by, by just listening to this conversation. And so you're so welcome. Thanks for having me, all of you. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be with you guys. We hope you enjoyed this special summer season. Our fall podcast launches in September, so be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our new upcoming episodes. We're really excited about this season. And if you enjoy this content, we would be honored if you would rate and leave us a review on this podcast. This enables other people to be able to find us as well. Thank you so much for listening.